0: Hi, it's Michael Kerr here presenting Small Business Banter. A healthy micro and small business sector means a successful economy and a more vibrant society. Small Business Banter is about helping regional business owners better prepare for current challenges but also for the next stage of business success. I'm Michael Kerr, founder of Kerr Capital advisors to business owners. Each week, I interview a fellow small business owner or an expert, and they share their stories, their lived experiences, the wins and the losses, and their best advice to help you, the listener, get the most you can from your own business. Small Business Banter is brought to you from the studios of 104.7 Gippsland FM, and he's heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. And thanks also to Kerr Capital, supporters of the show. Welcome into another edition of Small Business Banter Community Radio and Podcast. David Barnett from Canada joins me today. W- welcome in, David. Dave, i say. Well, thank you very much for having me, Michael. It's great to be here. For, for listeners, D- David is an authority on small business sales acquisitions. Uh, he, he trains, he mentors, He's he's been a broker. So he he's all over small business. And what we wanted to do today was... Get some of Dave's uh, wisdom and insights, Um, talk specifically about a report that we've both just read on how some of the business sales have been going over the last quarter to report from the International Business Brokers Association. So we'll get to that. Great to have you in. Can you give us a little bit of your uh, current work activities and and history? As you said before, I I was at one time a business broker. I owned my own business brokerage
1: office for a little over three years. In that time, I sold about 35 companies for other people. And after leaving um, the world of business brokerage, I went into banking. And, and I, and eventually got drawn back into the world of buying and selling businesses but this time with a different sort of business model today i operate as a consultant and i work for buyers and sellers but following the business model of lawyers and accountants where uh, i do work for people as they're progressing through a deal and they pay me for the work that i do as i go along so just as you'd hire a solicitor to make a contract for you, for example, uh, and then they would bill you for that work. It's the same with me. So I'm no longer driven by contingency payments for the outcome of a deal. I just work with people for as much or as little as they want to use my services.
0: True advice. I'm unaffected by the eventual, you know, or needing to have an eventual sale to to earn something. So yeah, it, a, a long way away from that business broking model that we both know, which is uh, everything about getting a result to get a commission. Yeah, um, you're you're prolific on um on on social media through particularly through YouTube, and and we'll at the end we'll give um I'll give the opportunity just to shout out those – um various social media handles. Let's start with this International Business Broking Association report. Came um, The Australian business brokers are, are a party to that uh, national, international body. Um, they do a quarterly report based on actual sales of um, businesses uh, inputted by brokers and others there was a couple of really interesting findings for me but do you do you want to give your kind of high level take on key things in the report and the implications and down here in australia there's some nuances and differences around uh, a few things but fundamentally when we're talking about small business sales canada america england you know different processes sometimes but lots of similarities as well and the data
1: that the IBBA collects, I mean, the, the membership in the IBBA is overwhelming, overwhelmingly American. And one of the things that kind of struck me when I was looking at it um, is that there are a lot of American states who did the whole lockdown thing in 2020 as the rest of the world did, but then quickly came out of it and got back to a business as usual sort of state before the end of 2020. And they, and they never went back. To to lockdowns and other kind of uh, mandates, whereas and, and I'm sure I, I know from the news that you in Australia, you guys had different public health uh, mandates and regulations for
0: quite some time. Yeah, we sure we sure did, particularly in Victoria where we are. Uh... Well,
1: and 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 even in in here in Canada, um, we were actually successful in 2020 in keeping the virus out of my region, and it meant shutting down provincial borders and it meant restricting travel and and people had to isolate for 2 weeks if they did leave the province and come back mm. and it created a real burden in the economy uh, as far as business operations and even in January of 2022 some of the businesses that were considered non-essential were closed here where i live uh, because we had another spike in the infection rates and so when i was looking at the at that report that you mentioned i was very interested to see how the data was looking because in some places during that time period, people were acting and behaving as were 2019, while in other places that were also part of reporting jurisdictions, they were still operating under different facets of pandemic virus control. And some of the interesting things from that report were that the average transaction value in terms of dollars went up. And, and that one didn't really surprise me because when, when the pandemic first hit, I' I've, you know I was had my business brokerage office during the recession uh, 8 to 2011. And so I know that if you're in a business that is going to be poorly performing, um, well, that probably means you're going to close the business, not try to sell it. Or if your business is poorly performing, and you are not gonna close, but you you know that the price of the business is related to its financial performance and you can afford not to sell, you're probably gonna withdraw from the market. You're gonna say, well, you know what? I'm not gonna sell under these conditions. I'm gonna wait and let the business build itself back up and then I'm gonna sell in a few years. I saw many people do that in 08, 09, and tw- early 2010. And so the average transaction dollar amount went up because it was the slightly larger businesses that were still transacting, that were able to be you know resilient during the pandemic. In the pricing information, and I'm sure you probably talked on the show before about how businesses are are priced as a factor of the cash flow. We talk about multiples all the time. The smallest businesses, what I would describe as the main street businesses, uh, the multiples didn't really change at all through the entire uh, time frame of the report whereas the larger businesses did have a change in the multiples. You could see when the market cooled off and the market became hotter and now it's starting to cool off again. But down on Main Street they remained very consistent at just over two times seller's discretionary cash flow.
0: What's really interesting about that is, and let's just define those couple of things, by Main Street in the report it's less than half a million dollars of business value but that's not the end value of no, no. the business it's, it's less than half a million dollars in seller's discretionary earnings yes yeah yeah. and then the um, i think then you go to the next ranking is lower yep. middle which which goes from half a million dollars up to about uh, i think 50 50 million dollars of discretionary Cash flow. It's interesting because the terminology that we use to delineate these different categories
1: in the business brokerage world is so very different from how you know the the people in the investment community would would classify these different categories, right? For most of what I deal with, it's Main Street and lower middle market, and so I I tend to ignore the data beyond that because once you start to get into these, you know, what these private wealth management firms are doing. I mean, they're not going to be buying the bowling alley at the end of the block. They're they're, they're, yeah. they're looking at much bigger yeah. concerns, and that's that's usually
0: kind of outside of my uh, area of, of of work. Largely in business broking in Australia, we're talking about Main Street. Um, so, ha- and, and on in terms of those multiples, that might you know parlay into a value of a million dollars or a million and a half, and that's you know we've got plenty of you know most of our businesses you know are, are kind of probably you know. Sub one million dollars Australian, mm-hmm. you know that are you know that you see advertised. So there's a couple of really interesting outtakes. Um, the multiples stayed steady for the. Uh, I've got to keep getting his terminology right. Main Street, so you know less than a half a million dollars of you know discretionary cash flow. Um, so and in that market, people are largely buying jobs. Interestingly, one of the. Um, You know the takes from the report was that, you know, the buyers of those businesses, um, nearly seventy five, seventy three, seventy five percent lived within. I I equated to about a half an hour drive. So that kind of makes a whole lot of sense to me that you're buying a job and you want to be relatively close to home. So if you're selling a business, and you know, call it you know in Australian terms a a small business, and it called a main street over there. Your buyers, if you're looking around for where your buyers are going to come from, they're going to come locally. So I think that has a lot of implications for how you actually promote and sell the business.
1: And if you go if you go online, and you start you know looking for information on on selling your business. You you find all of these articles about different topics and and there's a lot of stuff written out there about how you know some investment banker or, or some big private equity firm is going to buy your business, but what you and i both know we see it over and over again is that the most common acquirer of a small business is an individual often who wants to leave a job they don't enjoy and they want to go and they want to take control of their time and their and and take responsibility for their for themselves and their life and doing so through acquiring a business means getting into a business without the risks of a startup and so it's really that individual person who is most likely going to be the buyer in most of these scenarios, and um, and often there's you know sort of a family package. You know, I I, I see a lot of buyers um, who have a high degree of involvement from their spouse in in the decision making, and and they have a plan for their spouse to come and work in the business as well to be a part of the team.
0: True family businesses. Um... Uh, control of your destiny you buy a solid business um, you, you go through all the stresses of owning a business but it's yours and 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 you can make it what you want which is what you know I know we both champion that idea that um, it you know it can for, for for the right people beat beat a uh, you know a job in, in large corporate so um, yeah so we talk about and just to clarify um, you know we're talking uh, multiples there of two to two point eight of sellers' discretionary earnings, which the term is getting—I think it's getting picked up more and more here. But um, uh, you know, there's still this sort of, uh, I guess, um, desire to to price businesses, um, you know, after the the salary of the owner has been taken out, calling it a true net profit. But you get you get sort of you get caught up in what's a what's a salary, and and so I think um, what's a commercial salary. So I think that, that definition, you know, of sellers, discretionary earnings, what the owners can take out and and call it whatever they want is, is, is a good place, uh, to, to kind of start to think about the value of a business to you. Um, and then, uh, the next level up was, you know, um, started to get priced and valued in terms of more traditional multiple of EBITDA, you know, which is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. And
1: and so one of the things that that I felt was being exposed in that report because they they showed that as the, you know, in the main pandemic years that the multiples for these larger businesses was increasing. And what I can tell you I was seeing through the different clients that I work with is I was seeing the effect of particularly the American government's efforts to help business through these different liquidity programs. So the big ones were the the PPP program that they had there. And then the other one was the employment ret- retention tax credit. Um, I, I forget the exact terminology, but employers could apply and get credited for all the source deductions they removed from their employees' paycheck given back to them as a credit, as a, a gift. And so I worked yeah. with some clients who would literally buy a business that had not exercised this employee tax credit redemption thing. <laughs> they would buy the shares yeah. of the company and then they would submit the paperwork for back yeah. collection of this benefit yeah. and and yeah. sometimes recover their entire down payment. And so yeah, that's, the, the yeah. people who were tuned into these programs and understood the, 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 the small print and how to do this stuff were suddenly put in positions where they were at the end of a fire hose of money. And, and this is, yeah. in my opinion, one of the reasons why we saw the multiples expand within, within a very short right. timeframe. Um, I heard, uh, I was speaking with a business broker in Tennessee who was telling me that, um, she had worked with a client that owned multiple businesses that all qualified for PPP loans, but didn't really need the money. Um, and then they used that money to go and buy another business. And so when, when, yeah. when money starts to slosh around like that, I mean, we just have to remember back to that subprime mortgage crisis of, of, you know, 12, 14 years ago. When money is sloshing around and it doesn't take much to get your hands on it, what happens is prices get driven up. And and I think that's exactly what we were seeing in that time frame. Those programs have now all come to an
0: end and things are now cooling off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on today's edition of Small Business Banter Community Radio and podcast chatting with David Barnett from Canada, from a bunch of websites and um Social media channels that we'll talk about at the end, Dave. uh, Out of that report, yeah. Look, I agree. We we had those, um, you know, those one-off subsidies, and you know that you see flowing through business financials, and um, it was a real challenge when you're preparing them for sale to say, you know, is that a, you know, it's a one-off? Possibly. We we had different kinds of grants. It it was a one-off, but. Um, so, you know, normally you might say, well, that's not going to happen again. But then you'd argue, well, it, it inhibited that business from doing what it does. So it, it's kind of a, a replacement for revenue foregone. Um, so, yeah, it was a real, real challenge. So, um, but yeah, so I think in terms of multiples, you know, we're seeing at the, you know, the um, main street end that you're kind of staying the same. People, you know, want to buy a job they'll you know to to 2.8 times that discretionary sellers discretionary earnings and then um, as you get bigger the multiples start to get talked about in the normal way of multiples of EBITDA a um, couple other things out of that report that I, I do want to touch on time to close so I think I also read that um, more than half of you know transactions that were you know where brokers were Engaged didn't close. Yeah, you know, that that says there's a lot of you know there could be a whole bunch of reasons why that happens. But um, you know less than half that uh, that went to a broker ended up closing. Mm-hmm. So that's you know for an owner you got it, um, and for a broker as well you gotta you got a you got um, that's got implications. So, um, it's not you know things. It just reflects that things do change. You know, owners change their mind. Businesses' performance gets affected. But the time to close was. You know, up to about a year, um, six, 12 months. Let's call it that. And in that um, two to four months was the due diligence part, you know, which is might surprise a few, uh, a few selling
1: owners. Well, I think one of the reasons the time frame for closing got extended is so many deals were contingent upon performance in the latest quarter, when whenever the deal was was going to happen. Matching perhaps 2019. Um, you know, last year there were so you you talk about the one-off grants and subsidies that that were coming from government, and yes, they did offset usually declines in revenue and declines in earnings in those businesses uh, because of public health mandates. So the question then started to to come about. You know, how do I determine what the value of this business is if we have all these one-time events occurring? What I've seen consistently is that buyers will look at a business and if they can see that the business has returned to its pre-pandemic performance, then what they're going to do is simply discount or not include the performance of 20 and 21 perhaps. And so I know that there were several deals that I worked on where buyers would extend the closing by an extra couple months and put a contingency in there that the business performance had to meet You know the 2019 performance, or or be you know quote unquote satisfactory to the buyer, they they had to see that there was some sort of return to normal, and and that sort of trend or expectation began in the states that went back to normal sooner. Um, In other places, it's it's becoming more of a challenge, especially where consumer habits may have been potentially permanently changed. Um, You know the people.
0: Are not going back to the way they've east. gone online, yeah. Or, or yeah, yeah, no, that, that's true. Um, you know, it, it's um, it, it's something that um, it, it takes a a lot of active management of a, of a, of a an engagement, including managing, you know, the owner to uh, and the buyer to 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 kind of manage them through that process of you know saying well look we acknowledge that the business had a big you know dip in performance but we can see it that it might come back because you know they look at other you know pointers and other fundamentals but it, it does it does highlight how important it you know just generally in a selling process it is for an owner to keep their foot on the accelerator <laughs> you know once you decide to sell it's never it's never over and this highlights that perfectly and so that you know that next month's performance compared to, you know, the same month last year, and and in the case of you know COVID influenced business or impacted businesses, maybe two years mm-hmm. ago, how are you tracking, and it just, you know, that 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 spike in this month compared to last uh, same month last year can really kind of give the buyer a lot of confidence, and and the owner, you know, the um, the hope that they can actually get out, you know, it's somewhere more like historical, you know, value. So, you know, keeping a foot on the accelerator while you're selling is just so crucial. It's well, it's a lot, it's not the time to check and out. And the
1: other point about that due diligence period that I think is important for every small business owner to understand is that, you know, a lot of the presentation that a that a, a business owner makes to a buyer is their story. You know, you you tell the story of the business and what happened in the business, etc. For the buyer, though, they're going to be taking their savings. They're going to potentially be borrowing from family and friends. They're going to maybe borrow from the bank. They're going to potentially borrow from the seller in the form of a vendor note. And so they're going to be putting themselves... You know, fully invested in most cases into the acquisition of the business. And they can't do that entirely by simply relying on the story. They need to see the the, the proof that everything you've told them is accurate. And one of the big ways I think that you can tell the you know, the difference between a really qualified business broker and one who's not so, is that a really qualified business broker is going to pull all that stuff like, you know, You know, in in the same way a dentist is going to pull on your teeth, you know, a qualified business broker is going to pull that stuff out of you before you ever meet a buyer so that you can be more prepared because the worst thing that can happen is for an excited buyer who wants to buy your business to be told to wait for five weeks while your accountant puts something together, you know, you've, you've got to be ready. It's got to all be prepared. And uh, this is where a good broker is going to be able to help you by by helping to get you prepared so that you're ready before that buyer comes on the scene.
0: Yeah, um, and 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 then there's this you, you, you know there's you have a an information memorandum or a business summary prepared, and that's just not the end of the the story or the or, or the preparation for for selling. It's each month that ticks by after the. You know the 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 end of that period when you've you know you've uh, completed the information memorandum or business selling information is so crucial because um, you know we, we can see here from the numbers that that you know it takes you know it can take a long time to actually close due diligence can be and is it being extended so in that time the you know the buyer is going to say well give me you know I want to see what's happening you know last week you know or last month and as you say the broker's got to have that. Ready and uh, be prepared to answer the questions. Can I tell you a
1: 40-second story about this? Sure, One do. One of the yeah. first businesses yeah. I listed for sale in 2008 was a fried chicken franchise. And the last business I sold before I left in 2011 was that fried chicken franchise. And I sold that over the over that three-year period. I sold that business three times. And the first two times I sold it, it didn't complete because of problems that ended up arriving on the part of the buyer or the financing or something a lawyer said or something an accountant said, what have you. The third time, it did complete. And so, so that just highlights the reality of these deals. Um, and and it can be very frustrating, very frustrating. There's no question.
0: Yeah, no. Th- look, th- this. Um, yeah, just shows you just got it. You just got to keep on it. Um, Dave, look, we've already raced to, you know, to near the end of this this um installment of our of our discussion. Um, look, what we'll do is we might we'll definitely come back and have another chat. Um there's a few points that I'd like to pick up on the you know on that containing that report but I also want to give you just in this last little while an opportunity just to um, to give us uh, that list of places people can find you to hear about you know the, the stuff you talk about the work you do there's a lot of courses so far away Um, the
1: main place to find everything that I do online is at davidcbarnett.com and if you are interested in learning more you can sign up for my email list and if you're a fan of YouTube just look up David Barnett small business deal making and you'll find me I've got about 500 videos going back uh, all the way to 2014 where I answer questions about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized enterprises. And I've done a lot of interview programs there as well, where you'll see me discussing this with with other experts in the field. And so if you want to learn about this stuff, there's tons of information
0: there that that I'm very happy to put out for you. Yeah, look, I, the format's great. I've, I've, you know, I've been tracking them for quite a few years. You, you answer real questions from, you know, from brokers and owners, and and it's that format, you know, really kind of resonates. Um, you know, you bring that mix of experience, and I endorse, um, you know, the the work you're doing because um, you know there's 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 a big gap there um, between uh, expectations of owners just to list a business with a broker and sell and you know and and getting getting a result so you're you know educating and also you know holding hands and helping owners and buyers through that process so dave thanks so much for your time today um uh really great to to have that perspective and we'll, we'll do it again soon um and and continue to chat where i would like to have today thanks michael for having me So that is all for today's episode of Small Business Banter. I continue to be inspired, bringing you small business experts and other small business owners and hearing their stories. If you want to listen to any past episode, jump onto your podcast platform of choice and search Small Business Banter. There you will find a diverse and fascinating collection of small business owners and experts openly discussing and sharing their experiences any of the links resources or information we've talked about on the show today or to contact me please head over to smallbusinessbanter.com or you can find us on facebook and instagram and it would be great to have you tune in the same time next week for another episode of small business banter